Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast, where we dive into the training and racing of some of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials in Atlanta in 2020. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and in this episode, we catch up with John Ranieri, who just absolutely crushed it at the New York City Marathon. This man has been beating his head against the marathon wall for a while now. And finally, yes, finally, he got to the level where his fitness was able to shine through and have the marathon performance that he and his coach knew that he was capable of having. And it's so easy to say that you should just run the marathon to the level of your current fitness, but the marathon is just so darn hard for all of us amateurs and elites as well. And in this episode, you'll hear all about it because John, who has trained so well and so hard for such a long time, just hadn't been able to reach that level. And even in this race, it was a huge struggle for him, but he was able to do it. So fifth American, 15th overall, ran a 214. And without further ado, here's my conversation with John. John, thanks for hopping on and congratulations on uh, just an incredible New York City Marathon. Hey, uh, thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. It's definitely been a whirlwind, you know, of a few days, but, um, you know, I'm finally settling down now for sure. Yeah. So let's just say, let's just give the stats. So you ran 214 in the race, 15th overall, fifth place American, and an unbelievable last nine or 10 miles, just looking at the splits and how you ran this race. Um, you know, in our last, in our recap, you know, you were, um, let me just say, the most bold of the people who were giving predictions about how they would do. Um, I know you fairly well at this point, and I uh, know you're a really humble, low-key guy. And I, I remember after recording it, I talked to a couple people, and I was like, you would not believe how confident John is. Like, I've never heard him like this before, and like, I'm, I was hoping against hope that it would come to fruition for you, and it certainly did. So how? So let's just take take me back to just that conversation we had in your mindset. How much of that was you truly believing every word of that, and how much of it was like, "Hey, I want to be as positive as I can be because having that mindset is important." <laughs> um, I would say like ninety ten. You know, like I was extremely confident going into New York. All my training was leading towards this moment, towards this direction. We've done all the work. We've checked off the boxes and the shorter distances, such as the 5K, the 10K, the 10-mile, the half marathon. So we knew we had the leg speed to compete with a lot of these guys. Um, you know, and that was important for me, getting that confidence over the shorter distances. Um, you know, the past 15 months when I've been working with uh, James McCurdy, he's like, you know, we've been working at just getting faster from mile to marathon and and. And, you know, like, I think he may have put it in a tweet or something like that, but, um, and this is completely true. I've PR'd in every distance underneath him. Um, so I had a lot of confidence going into New York and, um, I know when it comes down to it, like, like I'm a gamer, I can perform. Um, and you know, like, like I, I mean, like I can suffer. Um, and, and I certainly did a lot of suffering over the last six miles. So let's talk about, that that idea of hey you've you've PR'd at every distance literally from the mile on up in recent months how much 
how important for you has been improving at those at the shorter distances in terms of you know its effect on your marathon pace? And I say this in light of everyone has different training tactics. Kellen Taylor's been on here talking about how you know when she's preparing for a marathon, like she really her and her coach just really don't care about that that high end speed. And yet I've seen other people like David Roche has been on this podcast who who trains, you know, ultra marathoners. And he like, he espouses the belief that like, hey, the best thing you can do is strides. So you see so many different beliefs on this. And I'd love to hear hear your thoughts on this subject. Yeah, sure. So um, like, as well, like, as, um, as long as I've been working with James, uh, we, like, we haven't done any serious speed. Uh, but it's been a lot of 5k power work. Um, and I was already kind of strong at that, um, before working with him, but it was just about connecting the dots and actually throwing together more consistent training. So like, as we kind of went into more marathon specific stuff, we kind of touched on it here and there, but a lot of our improvements came from a lot of long, like aerobic thresholds and kind of marathon effort. Um, so realistically, like I wouldn't say I've gotten a whole ton faster in leg speed, but I can keep that like, uh, like, I guess I can keep that pace for a longer time or just over like a longer distance, um, as opposed to a shorter distance. So, um, it's just more extending my ability to run that speed for, let's say instead of 5k, maybe 10k or maybe 15k, um, you know, like kind of going in that direction. Um, and I really think that helps out for the marathon because when you can run, you know, sub 48 for a 10 mile, or when you can run sub 63 for a half marathon, it, it makes, I mean, it makes 508 pace feel, you know, not easy, but, um, you know, relatively moderate. And when you think about what marathon pace feels like as you've gotten faster and faster in the marathon, how has that changed in terms of your perception of effort? Oh man. Well, you know, like it, you know, like it really depends on the course. Like, like I think, you know, like kind of maybe answering your question before a little, you know, just a little bit more like in depth. Um, like we were really confident about New York and, you know, like we thought two twelve was on the table. Um, but I ran a two fourteen, and I was very pleased with that. Um, but the idea of New York just being a hillier course and, um, and just having demands that like, you know, a flatter course doesn't have, um, it, you know, it almost kind of signals that like, well, it's just going to vary based on the day, the terrain and the weather more so. Um, but yes, um, that intention and effort is always going to be there. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of changes in the past year and, and, and it, you know, seems like just a year ago, my marathon pace was maybe, I don't know, like X slower compared to now. Um, but it all really feels the same in general. And, you know, he, he put a post out uh, basically talking about some of your previous marathons and the paces you ran basically post the 2016 trials or even including the 2016 trials where you were kind of were hovering around the 220 mark. And I know in our conversations that like basically the results of those races did not match up necessarily with your workouts and how you how you viewed your fitness level for some of those races. So talk to me about the process of trying to align your fitness level with the race. Like what have you done 
I guess in the past, you know, past six weeks to two months, that was enabling you to connect your, you know, your perceived fitness level with the marathon time that you thought, you know, kind of corroborated that those sorts of efforts. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, really, like I think the biggest indicator was just getting out and doing, you know, longer marathon work and being more consistent with it. Um, so. For example, going out there and, and, you know, and running like 14 miles at a, like at a marathon steady state effort or 16 miles, or even if it's like little chunks of marathon and then we have a half mile jog in between, but just having exposure to longer distances at faster paces. Um, it, it, you know, kind of ties into the question that you asked before and the answer that I gave, um, you know, just a lot of threshold work and a lot of marathon work, but just longer bouts of it. So instead of three by two mile or four by two mile, maybe three by three mile or, or, you know, even two by five mile at threshold and just really longer, like steady state runs, um, whether they're mixed paces or whether they're steady all the way, but having exposure and, and just kind of having that little like inkling of suffering just to let you know what you're going to get into at mile 18. Now, was this a conscious change in marathon training uh, philosophy for you and James, or was this something that your body has just built up to over a period of time? So this is something that we built up to. Like when I first started working with James, we, we weren't nearly touching the same volume or the intensity or the quality. Like, like I can think of a bunch of workouts that I've done at sea level with James a year ago and I've run just as fast or faster at 7,000 feet. Um, so it's really just been a progressive improvement in fitness and just, you know, like mental confidence in just, uh, just being emotionally stable with the sport. Like just really just, just like a lot of growth in all areas, like to be honest. Well, you touched on something very interesting there, being emotionally stable with the sport. What exactly do you mean when that phrase comes out of your mouth? Like being okay where you are and knowing that you're going to have improvement and knowing that if you trust the process, um, you know, like good things are going to happen. Um, when you line up for a marathon and, and again, I'm like, I'm really not the one to kind of speak about it. This is really like the second one that I've done well at, um, at, at least from my experiences, there's a lot of unknowns, you know, even if you've done X pace for X amount of distance, or you've done X amount of, you know, 18 to 20 milers, you still have to go out there and do it and suffer at some point. Um, so being okay with one, knowing that the suffering is coming and two, being okay with where you are and, um, and just being in a happy place. Yeah, and how much of this also comes back to just your training days? Um, I know as a professional runner now, is it hard not to kind of have the, the, the constant pull of judging your fitness level every day or having every hard workout be a referendum on not only how you're, how you're doing at the moment, but how you may do in the future? Yeah, you know, like... Like, I will say, like, at all levels, I think people can make, like, snap judgments about, oh, well, like, maybe I'm not as fit as I was or, oh, like, you know, like, that workout, like, didn't go as planned. Um, but really, if, 
if you like look at what your preparation wants to be, um, it's, it just has to be a body of work. Um, you know, just a masterpiece really like maybe not a masterpiece, but you know, just a lot of workouts kind of sprinkled together with recovery days in between. And one workout doesn't make or break your season. Right. Um, and, and I think that's a really important concept to kind of bring home because, you know, you may be feeling really bad one day and then another day you may be feeling okay. Like I mentioned last time, um, how about three weeks out, like, like I, like I actually like strained my quad pretty bad. Um, and, and I was a little bummed out about it, but you know, I, I didn't finish my workout. I like, I had to run easy and take like two days off. Right. So the idea of adjusting from that and not making a snap decision about, Oh, like, well, like I'm not ready to, you know, like I'm not ready to run New York now, you know? Um, but like trusting in the body of work that you've done is, is very crucial in, in order to even be on the line and, and actually see that success. Yeah. Yeah. Shoot. That makes a lot of sense. And then how much of your philosophy or just how you view your own running has changed now that in addition to, you know, moving out to Flagstaff and being full-time with James and being around a lot of high level runners, how much of it has been impacted by your own coaching? So you you coach you know dozens of amateur runners. You have a, a pretty a pretty good sized roster of people that you coach. How has that influenced your training or your perspective on your training? Uh, well, you know, um, like as I always say, with some things easier said than done, right? I mean, I just try to take my own advice. Like I try to heed that honestly. So. Um, like if I know that's the right move, then I need to take my own advice, you know? And, and I think that's really hard sometimes because it's, 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 you know, like one of those, uh, dichotomies and, you know, like your brain and you're just like, Oh, well, you know, like you're giving someone else, Hey, like, this is the right move. Like this is the right thing to do, but you're questioning if you should do that move yourself. Do you like kind of get when I, where I'm um, getting at there? Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely see that. I mean, I, I shoot. I mean, John, I struggle with that every day. You know, I tell my yeah. kids all the time to eat healthy and I'm stealing their candy. So I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yes. So like, I really think it just roots down to the human condition, honestly. Just like, you know, we are flawed and sometimes we won't take our own advice. And, and I try to take my own advice every time if possible. I want to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Inside Tracker. Listen, when it comes to diet and nutrition, it seems like there are a million voices in the wilderness all just screaming out. It's hard to understand what to think about nearly any kind of food. And that's why personalized nutrition can be so helpful and valuable. And the key to doing that is getting your blood work done, seeing where you are on a biomarker scale, and you can optimize exactly what your body needs. And that's exactly what Inside Tracker does. They track up to 43 different biomarkers. They've optimized zones specifically designed for you. And also, they have science-backed recommendations for different ways where you can improve different markers and your levels. So give Inside Tracker a try. It's such a valuable resource. Listen, all the top athletes in the world, they get their blood work done and they have professionals taking a look at it to make sure that they're on the right path. Shouldn't you be able to do the same thing? 
So use code RAMBLINGRUNNER to save 10% on Inside Tracker today. So let's talk about the race. So um, I did see that James had put together, um, I didn't see it specifically, but I saw him and you talking about it, that he had a pretty detailed race strategy for you. Yes. So let's talk about let's talk about the week of. Let's just dive right into like, all right, when did you fly in, and what was the what were the preceding days to race day? Um, what did they look like in terms of your scheduling and your preparation? Yeah, sure. So I flew in and I got in late Thursday night into New York, um, and then uh, you know, of course, there was a three hour time change. So um, so just kind of adjusting to that. Um, before I left my flight, I, you know, like I went on an, an easy 30 minute run, maybe at eight minute, eight thirty pace or something, you know? Uh, so, you know, like nothing crazy at that point, Friday morning, um, I got up, uh, you know, normally it just generally speaking, just, just kind of go to the hospitality, you know, like several times during that day. Um, but the whole idea was just to kind of chill out and just to relax. Um, so I was able to get lunch with James. We kind of talked a bit, you know, um, just more about the race. You know, we just, you know, just kind of hung out for a while. And then I went for a run later that day. Saturday, we had a technical meeting before the technical reading. I, I went for a, a really easy 25 minute run and, um, you know, um, had my last sleep and, uh, yeah. And, you know, sooner than I realized that it was race day. Oh, that's great. So you didn't have too much going on in terms of like, you know, media response, media availability or meeting with other runners that you were coaching. I'm sure you had runners who were doing the marathon as well. Nothing like that. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I, you know, um, like I kind of left that responsibility to James. So I, I gave him kind of like my workload for the weekend and, and like he was all for it. So it's, which is absolutely 100% supportive. Like I've done the same for him. Um, but yeah, no media responsibilities, just, uh, you know, just, just really kind of hanging out and just, you know, like kind of resting the legs. Oh, that's great. All right. So let's talk morning of what's it like for you in terms of, you know, what is the, the process by which you get to the starting line and it'll be, I love the amateur stories of like the New York city corral system and, you know, basically people like just like going to the porta potty, then just getting back in line to go to the porta potty again. It's just like the crazy uh, things that you hear at these enormous marathons, but what was it like for you in terms of the, the morning of? Oh man, the morning of was just super relaxed, like went down and just got some breakfast, got some coffee. Like the bus left fairly early. So I was kind of rushing for that. Uh, like the bus left at 6am. Um, so it leaves generally about a half hour, uh, like it leaves generally about a half hour later than kind of most people just go to the mass start. Right. Um, you know, so the bus ride was pretty smooth sailing over, you know, just tried to remain relaxed, just like I knew what I had to do. So it, it, you know, I didn't want to overthink it at all. Um, I surrounded myself with really, really good people that morning. Um, and I think that's, that's crucial. Um, you know, like just like who you hang out with or just, you know, like who you spend your time with or, you know, like who you eventually want to marry, you know, uh, you, you know, you need to spend time with people that you trust and that are positive and, and, you know, then like, and are going to influence you in a good way. Um, so that was great. I spent some, 
you know, like some time with just some like really positive folks that morning. And, uh, you know, and I think really when I, when I like realized I was running the New York city, Mar- I mean, like, I mean, like I knew I was running, the, I mean, like clearly like I knew I was running the New York city marathon. Um, <laughs> but like when I, like when it was really like a pinch me moment it was like 15 minutes before when we got on the start line, just seeing the crowds behind us, you know, they sung the national anthem. Like it, it, like, you know, it became pretty surreal at that point. Um, it almost felt like just my calmness, like just, you know, just turned into this mixture of like serenity and confidence. And, um, and, and at that point I was ready to go. Yeah, it was, yeah. Like at that point I was just, you know, good to go. And I was like, all right, let's just shoot this damn cannon so I can get off. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. All right. So let's talk about this detailed strategy that you and James put together. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we had a plan of going out at, uh, um, 66 30, um, kind of fast forward. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to fast forward, but we ended up being 66 54, which, you know, like wasn't too bad, but, um, you know, the plan was to get up the bridge and not gas ourselves, right. Run fast enough, but not run too slow where it doesn't put us in a hole. Cause you're climbing 150 feet. That's, you know, like that's a fair amount. Right. Um, and just to get off the bridge, you get into a really good rhythm. Um, I was a little fast at 10 K, uh, but I felt good and I felt controlled and I felt really moderate at that point. Um, you know, and between that and the other splits in the race, they were supposed to get faster, faster, faster. Um, it like, it was a bit windy. So, so like that kind of came as, as, like as a surprise, like it wasn't too windy, but it came as a surprise for us. So we had to adjust. Right. So we were supposed to be 3145 at the 10 K then 3115 to 3130, 3115 to 3130. And then, um, just 3115 to 3130 and then close like hell over the last two K. Uh, so that's just a general idea, um, of kind of how the plan was supposed to go down. All right. So, when you have very specific time-based plans, how much does the people, how much do the people around you and potentially running with the group and the allure of doing that, how much does that affect how you actually um, you know, put your race together? Because obviously you have a lot of time to make decisions and there's a pretty good amount of people around you at certain points. So how much, how much, how much do you weigh those time-based options versus those group-based options? Um, yeah, like, let me recognize that the allure is there. Like, there's always, you know, something about going out with a top back and seeing how long you could hang. That used to be my strategy for everything before I started working with James. Um, you know, and, um, like, I knew I, I wouldn't be able to run 104.50 at the half. I'm, I'm, I'm just really not in that shape. Right. So it was about recognizing that. Um, so, um, I went out with most of the American field and I was like, you know, this is, this feels a little slow. I, I think I'm going to pick it up. So I'm five nineteen on the bridge and, um, you know, like I'm running pretty much alone until mile eight or nine. Uh, I think it was Joe Whaling caught up to me and then Tyler Pennell caught up to me and we were running with, um, a, a sub elite runner as well too, at that point. 
and it was just us four and we were just kind of going back and forth um and we were all working together but uh you know the uh, i mean like the allure is there but knowing what you're capable of and knowing your physiological limits i think is uh good especially for a you know like the marathon distance now is there communication there for you like talking to those guys to see like what they're hoping to do under the guise of hey you know like rising tide lifts all boats like if we can work together and if we communicate what we're hoping to do maybe you know we can help each other get there especially earlier in the race when it's not necessarily a cutthroat proposition yeah yeah so actually like there was a lot of that uh it was it was just like like i mean it was just a lot of really just like small exchanges so it was like hey like you know like what's your water table you know because everyone had fuel right so i wasn't going to cut someone off you know, like when they were going to go into their like fueling table. Um, so we kind of understood where everyone was. So I was in one of the, you know, like the further back tables. So I just decided just to get right in the back of the line, you know, just like wait until they picked up their bottles and then go. Um, but you know, it was interesting. Uh, I exchanged a few words with, uh, Tyler Pinnell, um, coming off the Queensboro bridge and he's like, all right, like we're good. Like, let's not go too fast on first Avenue. So that was awesome hearing him, you know, actually say that. And that just encouraged me to work with him the rest of the race. Now, did you have a relationship with Tyler before this race? Like, did you guys know each other? No, no, like not at all. Uh, no, it was just uh, like we were just in that moment and, you know, uh, just, you know, and, and it was really cool because it was like, like we were both suffering, you know, and it was just like, okay, like, like, let's get to one more mile, one more mile, one more mile. So it was cool running with him and it was cool running with Joe Whalen. And it, it, it's just, uh, it, it, there was a lot of like camaraderie there. Um, and it was a lot of like unspoken camaraderie, uh, like, which was the best part. So you're coming up first Avenue, which is like, you know, one of the, the landmark places in this marathon where you, you always hear about this wall of noise and the crowd really gets going and it really can just spur people um, for a certain period of acceleration, each person is different there, obviously, but you know, you, you have that burst of like, okay, this is exactly why I came to this marathon, this exact feeling. And you mentioned that you were, you know, you were dying at that point. So describe to me, like what, when you say you were dying at that point, you know, you end up closing this marathon out as well as anybody. So what exactly <laughs> does dying mean to you? Because you clearly had a lot left to give as evidenced by your splits from that point moving forward. Yeah. I, I think really it was just feeling terrible. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I think like really Matt, like the big thing was that I, like I haven't felt this marathon pain in four or five years, you know? Um, and for me to get to this, like if I could have tears of joy, I, I would have tears of joy at mile. 18 to 24, even if I was suffering, because I, I like, I haven't been to that point. Emotionally, it was big for me. Physically, it was big for me. Right. So it was about perceiving that effort. And, and I was feeling like bad, but like, I wanted to suffer. Like I wanted to just be there in that moment. And, and it just felt right. Um, and even though I felt bad and I felt like I was dying, I was still hitting those splits. Like I went from running, I think a 501 a mile. 23 to a 518 up up that like very large hill like before you like get in the central park um 
And, and like, at that point I thought I was absolutely toast, but I saw my split. I'm like, okay, like I'm good. That was a large climb. I just had to adjust. Um, so really I think it was just my perception rather than reality. So let's talk about act. Let's, let's act as if you were typing in your symptoms into like WebMD. Like what exactly would you describe as like the things that you were feeling in terms of like, all right, I feel awful, but what exactly does that mean? Like what parts of your body were feeling awful? Like what exactly are you, would you, how would you paint that picture? <laughs> um, I lost feeling in my, in like the left side of my body. <laughs> what? Um, yeah. So you yeah. were just running in a circle? You just, just only the right side was working? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it was, it was because I tied my shoes a bit too tight. So I like lost feeling in my left side of my leg, but I still was able to have response off of it. Um, just generally I was sore all over my upper body was sore. My lower body was sore. Like just generally just a lot of, uh, like a lot of fatigue. Um, you know, like not anything specific, but just like just hurting all over. Um, and, and just hurting on the inside. So um, <laughs> it, it was, it was just like, like if you like looked up Dom's, like you would probably see my name on it. <laughs> so let's talk about like the, the, the inner monologue going back and forth, right? Cause if you feel that way, there's obviously a part of you that's saying like, Hey, just slow down a little bit, man. Like, you know, this, this kills this, you know, you're, you're dying here. You can't even feel the left side of your body. Let's just slow down. Uh, and then there's the other side of you. It's worked so hard and, you know, has this as a life goal and you're doing all of these wonderful things to get to this exact moment to feel these exact things. So what is that like in terms of your own head, in terms of, you know, just explain to me the inner dialogue that's happening during those crucial moments. Sure, sure. Yeah. You know, like, and I prepared for them well. Like, I was like, I know this is going to happen. Like, I know I'm going to try to bargain with myself. Um, <laughs> so you know, like I go back to the question that you asked me in the last interview, which was, do you have any mantras or do you have any things that, that really just help you during a race? And, and it's never settling, always pressing every mile. I just, I just repeated that to myself. It's just never settle, never settle, never settle, always press. And, and like that got me through the really tough miles. Um, you know, this is going to be kind of a dumb answer also, but like, um, like manual splits that you take on your watch, that really helped because I could see how much time that I had in that split. So if I know I was going that same effort, then if I was three and a half minutes through, I'm like, okay, like I've less than two minutes in this split, you know, like, and then I'm on to the next mile. So I kind of like chunked that up mentally to kind of help myself as well. Oh yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And especially since and this is just a kind of like a known thing for a lot of people and yet surprisingly unknown for a lot of others who haven't done a big city marathon is that GPS splits in a big city marathon can be notoriously fickle. Yes. Yep. I, I think it read 26.9 for me or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, like absolutely. Um, you know, you have tall buildings around you. It throws off the signal. Like that happens uh, far too often. So... You, so you climb that big hill, which, you know, we've seen on the, uh, when you watch on television, that's one thing they always talk about because you see this long straightaway, people are climbing it and it's a tough one. And you dive back into Central Park. At what point did it transition for you in terms of, oh my goodness, this is like the worst feeling of my life to, 
the joy that everyone experiences upon you know seeing the end of the mar- seeing the end of a marathon like can was there a line of demarcation for you in terms of that that that, that feeling shift yeah i would say that final right turn going into the park when you get to columbus circle um you get on this rinky dink little path like i thought it was an actual road but it's just this path you run on um and then you get onto the road inside of central park and probably there like my mentality kind of just switched i'm like okay like let's go um, I, I ended up passing like three or four people in the last 600 meters, uh, which was, you know, well, I think three maybe because yeah. So, but it, it was like, that was where I was like, okay, like, let's bring this home. Like, like, you know, like, let's just run as fast as possible for this last section. And when you saw these people ahead of you, did you just have that killer instinct in you or were you still very internally focused? You know, like, I think it was that killer instinct. I mean, I, I would like to think so. Uh, I, I always, like, that's my favorite part of a race, passing people. Um, I don't want to be the guy being passed. Um, <laughs> so, so um, like, that's something that I pride myself on. Like, I'm a fairly good closer in a race, and, um, and I just was there in the moment in, in a marathon. And, and the only, like, the only race distance that I couldn't master before and that I couldn't close well in was the marathon. Um, so having the ability to close well and to pick people off at the end was just a huge bonus, really. And one thing that's been a common theme for three of the four men who are part of this, the roster of this show, you, Parker, and Lou Serafini, I'm going to talk to Lou later on this week, is this idea of, all right, kind of like having the marathon that I know I'm capable of doing. And all of you have done that in the past month or past couple of weeks. So for you, what was the feeling like once you've, you'd crossed the finish line, you kind of had your wits about you, what was that feeling like to realize that, you, that you'd finally had that, that run and that experience that you put so much mental and physical energy into achieving? Oh, man, it was surreal. Like I was just physically and emotionally drained at that point. Um, it was probably the best feeling that I've ever had in my entire life, to be honest. <laughs> um, like seeing my coach just embrace me and seeing my family after it was, it was, it was unreal, man. It was, it was like, it was uh, like, it was a surreal moment. Cause you know, like I know that I made them proud. Um, so for me, it was just like, I did it. Like I'm here, you know? And did you have this feeling of like reaching a new plateau or like, and again, this is not in the moment, but say like the day or two later, or even now, like a week later um, of, of like, Hey, like what, what now that you've reached this level as a marathoner and you feel like you've reached the level of your fitness and you've done something, you've checked a box that has taken a long time and it's a really significant thing. What does it feel like for you in terms of, you know, the paradigm with which you view yourself and, you know, amongst your peers? I think it was validation, really. Um, it was just, you know, like not validation that like, you know, oh, like I'm going to be a better human being after this or something or like I'm going to like, you know, you know, like I like I'm like I'm going to like prove my existence or something like that. But it was just validation that I can run a marathon, um, you know, uh, like I've been so strong at the half and, and the 10 mile and the 10 K and the 5 K 
and I'm pretty quick in the mile, but I, I just hadn't run a good marathon before or like I have, but it's been a while. So like for me, it was just validation. It was like, okay, like I did this. Absolutely. So last question before we get going and thank you so much for being so generous with your time and hopping on. So what does, what does November look like for you, right? You've been training and working so hard. What do we got up until like, you know, the next, next three or four weeks before you start in earnest and preparing for Atlanta? You know, uh, it's, it's going to be pretty chill, honestly. Uh, two weeks off, um, you know, even though I like, I did do the shakeout run today, but it was only two or three miles. Um, you know, two weeks pretty much fully off. And, you know, and then following that, just really getting back into easy running, you know, pretty slowly and, you know, just, just kind of relaxing and enjoying the holidays really. Uh, like I haven't took a break in a while, so it's definitely good for me both emotionally and physically for sure. That's great. All right. Last one. I said last one already, but I'm this is really the last <laughs> one because you're a fellow New Englander and me, you and Lou, we got that in our blood. Are you coming back at all for the holidays? I am. Yeah, I am. Like, I'm going to be there Christmas. There you go. All right. John, thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations. I couldn't be happier for you. And hey, thank I you, just man. can't I appreciate wait to, it. To, to, uh, to keep chatting as the year progresses. Oh, it's like, it's going to be so much fun, man. It's going to be so much fun. And yep. Um, thank you again for having me. John, thank you so much for hopping on the show. Also, big ups to Inside Tracker for sponsoring this and so many episodes of the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast. If your goal is to maximize and optimize your training and racing, a big part of that is nutrition and recovery. And that's exactly what Inside Tracker can help you do. So go to insidetracker.com, use code RamblingRunner to save 15% on your purchases there. It's a big deal. And with all of the craziness involving nutrition these days, just get a personalized look at what you need. And that's the best way to do it. So again, thank you, Inside Tracker. Thank you, John Ranieri. And thank you, the listeners, everybody rating, reviewing, and sharing this show. It warms my heart to see it every time. Thank you so much and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Meta P for the music and his song, Evolution.